morning, good afternoon, and good evening around the world. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Alexander, and you're listening to a brand new episode of Ivy Exec Insights, a weekly podcast brought to you by Ivy Exec, an elite network of global thought leaders. You can visit us at ivyexec.com and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. In today's episode, you will hear Compassionate Leadership, the foundation to inspire and motivate ourselves with our guest, Kevin Hunting, leadership coach at Leading Kinder. Kevin Hunting is the founder of Leading Kinder and Two Steps Forward Coaching. He is passionate about partnering with mission-driven organizations and uh, purpose-driven individuals to unlock their leadership potential so that they can lead with uh, greater ease, confidence, kindness, and impact. Uh, In this session, we will cover uh, how to understand the internal and external factors affecting compassionate leadership, how to identify common beliefs that prevent leaders from leading compassionately, as well as uh, tips to help you lead more compassionately. Enjoy the show! Thank you for having me here. Thank you, Ivy Exec, and thank you uh, all of you for being here with me today. for carving out time out of your day, which for me is a sign um, that you care about yourself. To me, this is a, a place for learning, growth, and development, as is really any moment in our professional lives. So I'm glad to be here with you. Just to add a little bit more, thank you for that very, uh, thorough introduction. Prior to launching my own leadership coaching practice, I have spent 17 years working with many Fortune 500 brands. Um, I've worked at Banana Republic, OldNavy.com. Um, I started my career at GE and have also worked at Fossil Group and done marketing consulting work as well um, within the Inter-American Development Bank in Washington, D.C. Most of my focus in marketing was around e-commerce, CRM, um, as well as some digital marketing, but that's the space that I played in. And it was really through my professional journey that I was led to coaching and leadership coaching is just something that fills me up in ways that I've never, I have never had the opportunity to experience until I launched my own practice. And so I'm so grateful to be here. Also, one of the key areas that I love talking about and I really specialize in is EQ or emotional intelligence, as well as compassionate leadership. And there really is a a synergy there. Um, you, In order to lead compassionately, there is a very Um, emotional awareness is really a key component to be able to do so effectively. So we're going to go ahead and get started. This is going to be robust. I have tons of great information to share with you. And why is this topic so important? To me, when you think about compassionate leadership, one of the ideas that I really focus on is that each and every single one of us deserves better. I know that sounds like an odd statement, but we do um, in terms of how we are treating ourselves, our inner dialogue that affects how we feel each day, and more importantly, how it affects our ability to lead our people, our teams, as well as our engagement with fellow colleagues and also senior leadership. And so to me, it's almost like a a right, a a sort of birthright, if you will, that we we do deserve the best. Um, I think where we can get tripped up is how, what that means for us, but also how do you really start to live and embody that? So that, that is a really, for me, powerful component of this. Um, also, 
just to share, like a lot of the latest research is telling us that over the last 30 years, there really has been a trust decay in our organizations and institutions. Um, workers in general have become increasingly disengaged and dissatisfied. And as many of you, I'm sure, experienced during the uh, pandemic, that was amplified. That whole idea of disengagement and dissatisfaction really became amplified because many people finally took the time to go inward and look at themselves and start to better understand, A, not only what, what type of role they wanted to be in, but also how they wanted to work, which is more important, I believe. How, how we get work done is critical. The other piece here is when you think about all that's happening in this world, um, for example, the war in Ukraine with economies basically faltering and many on the verge of recessions, if not, if not in recessions, and with disinformation basically being so rampant and so many other things that I won't even probably go into right now, I think it just becomes imperative that each of us understands that we do have a role in helping to make the world a better place. And part of that is through kindness and compassion, not only for ourselves, but for really everyone. Um, and I do truly believe that it is our duty. That is partly why we're here is to do that and to do the work to that's gonna result in a more compassionate world. And so it's no small feat if, that, if that's something that you're aiming for in life. And I'd like to think that collectively, most of us believe and want that to be true. Um, so let's get into what is, what is compassionate leadership? Let's just lay down the framework of what is it actually? And simply put, it is the practice of using your head and heart to inspire and influence the people that are around you. And so, but that also includes ourselves. Um, this definition I find really interesting and it speaks to me because it touches on components that many times leadership doesn't, which is the idea of really positively leading ourselves first and having that piece of the puzzle covered, which allows us to then to do that with others. And then more importantly, to even move more outward in this, which is the greater, the greater collective or the greater community that we may be a part of and that each one of us is a part of. So it's, it's simply that practice, but recognizing that it sounds simple, but how to do it is, is not so simple. Um, also, just want to call out that many leaders who are focused on this topic, you know, are doing the work to understand the difference perhaps between sympathy, empathy, and compassion. And you'll notice that the biggest difference when you jump from empathy to compassion as a distinction is that compassion includes taking action. So it's not just understanding thoughts and feelings, not only of ourselves, but others, but it's also about creating a practice where that's actually being put into play. Um, and that's, I think, where a lot of times we, we can get stuck is taking the action because it may feel, it may feel off, it may feel uncomfortable or discomfort, it may create discomfort. And so many of us may pull back, but that's, that is a key component of this is the idea of putting this into practice because it's the only way to become a more compassionate leader. It's really the only way to become, I think, any type of leader, regardless of what you're aiming for, but without practice, it's, it's not really even possible. So here are the 
really factual kind of research-based also um, pieces that speak to why this important is so, is so important, this topic of compassionate leadership, is that it has tangible benefits to organizations. It has, it creates a happier workforce. It does result in higher performance and job satisfaction. And again, one of the things that many of us may miss along this path of thinking, well, I don't really, you know, I just need to do my job and do my job well, is that there is a more neuroscience sort of physiological component to leading compassionately that not only affects our bodies, but affects our minds. And again, we'll get into more of the details of what those actually are. But suffice to say that there is a very tangible impact to ourselves when we put this into practice. Here's also some research, um, some recent research, with I, which I found really, really interesting. One of the stats on here to me is pretty telling, is that a majority of leaders who have been surveyed believe or say that compassion is so important for leadership. And yet the disconnect is that 80% of the, those, like the same leaders, they, they want to enhance it, but they just don't know how. And so the not knowing how is where there's the biggest gains in the biggest areas, I think, for exploration for anyone who wants to be more compassionate or understand what that means for themselves. So a lot of this, when we get into the latter part of the presentation, I'm going to have some real tangible tools and tricks that are going to help you put this into practice if you choose to. Um, and here's the thing. It starts with us. Um, leading compassionately is really where it starts with us internally and us doing the work as leaders to understand and build our own awareness. Without awareness, it, it doesn't allow us to build on the areas or the gaps that may exist or are getting in the way of our ability to understand how we can lead more compassionately. And so when I talk about awareness, it's pretty holistic in that there's self-awareness, which is us understanding our belief systems, maybe our values, our thoughts and feelings, um, also our emotions, like I said earlier. It's also the awareness of reality and this is a big one that I work with my clients on. There's a lot of times our own belief system or the way that we view the world that we live in or that we've been really trained cognitively to believe in has huge implications because typically we're not seeing what is really happening, just what is. We're seeing what we believe is happening. And a lot of times that can muddy the water in terms of how we may be approaching solutions or how we're looking uh, for strategic ideas and opportunities to, to work more effectively and efficiently with our teams and fellow colleagues. The other piece is just being aware of others. Um, how many times a day do you really tap into sort of picking up on other people's cues and where they may be not only, not only energetically speaking, but also understanding how you may be able to influence those around you. And the last two that, again, I think we take for granted is our awareness of our environment, which plays a huge role in how we're leading day to day. So you can imagine, right, if someone's working in a not so hospitable environment, how is that going to affect their ability to lead? And then more importantly, just the idea and the awareness that each one of us has choices and options. And I would say this is also an area where with the, the clients that I tend to work with, we, we don't even sometimes understand um, that we have 
so many choices and options available to us. And I'm going to explain more about why sometimes that's hard to um, tap into and see. So the next question that this begs is, how are you leading day to day? If you really got honest with yourself and you kind of sat back and gave this five minutes or after, after this presentation, if you started to journal um, each day about how am I leading in my day-to-day, -day, that one question alone can start to unravel as well as maybe uh, make it clear that there, should, there could be certain patterns or behaviors that you might be tapping into that you weren't aware of. And this is, the focus here is first on understanding how, again, I am leading, how am, how am I as an individual leading, but then more importantly, how are you leading those around you? And I would like to bet that almost every single participant that's here today with us is probably aiming to lead from a place of inspiration and motivation. That the, the, the optimal place to be leading is one where you have the ability to inspire and motivate those people around you. And, and the, the, the equation simply works this way that if you don't feel inspired and you don't feel motivated internally, that that's not even that's not even really possible um, from a more of a neuroscience type of an approach. It doesn't you can't think from a place of being inspiring and motivating if you are mired in sort of stress, anxiety, and worry in your day to day. So this is why this is so important. Is the only way to understand and get better about understanding what might be affecting you in your day to day is to start to better understand how you are leading. Um, so this is, again, the key piece of the puzzle. And like I said earlier, if it's anything like what I'm hearing experience with the clients that, I, that I'm working with, I can tell you that we are experts at beating ourselves up. It is, I can tell you that there was a gentleman that at a very senior level who's being groomed for succession planning within his organization and in getting really honest with himself, one day he actually said to me that he's like, Kevin, I don't even know if I have the confidence or the ability to be able to step into the role that he's being groomed for. And so this is one example and just one way of thinking, one thought that's affecting his whole ability to lead the way that he's going to need to or wants to so that that becomes a reality. And I can tell you that you're being hit from all angles. I'm sure many of you are being hit from every single angle from not only what's happening at work, but what also is happening outside of work in your personal life, whether it's your relationships, um, family type relationships and dynamics. There is so much that each of us are trying to manage day to day that, that this becomes really challenging to sort of go inward and do some of the work that I'm gonna be sharing but it becomes really critical when you start to understand how important it is to your overall professional life and the career management side of that. And I, I use that one example, but I, I can tell you that most of the clients I work with, they always are coming at it from what they didn't do or from a place of deficit in terms of who they are versus looking at it maybe from another perspective, which is what is what could I have learned in this situation that could make me a better leader tomorrow, which feels a lot more um, productive and efficient. And we're going to talk more about that. So here are some common beliefs or thoughts 
that are that I see that I'm I've I've heard that I've experienced with clients and I've worked with many many individuals that truly inhibit having that self compassion. Um, in some of these, you might you might your eye might be like, well, I never thought of that, but I can't tell you how many people that I work with where their idea or they have a belief that being right is really important to them. Meaning, when they're in certain dynamics. The focus on being right and having the outcome of that being validated for them is something that they they're really attached to. But by being really attached to that, that creates the flip side of that is that there's also a dynamic when you feel like you're not right or you feel like that's not you're not being validated in a way that supports this idea. You actually can go in the other direction, which is where you start to beat yourself up or start to second guess what you've done. Um, Another one is judging things as right or wrong. If you are an individual that tends to compartmentalize most situations and look at things as it being right or wrong or good or bad, that can create a lot of, like that prohibits the ability to have the self-compassion. Um, because again, your go-to is probably your thoughts are going to take you to a place where you're going to start beating yourself up if you perceive that you are wrong. And I use the word perceive because honestly, if you think about it, there is no right or wrong. Um, apart from ethics, if you, if not, I'm not talking about ethics. I'm talking about in most business dynamics, if you ask someone what is the measure that they use to know that they are right, there's no measure. It is a subjective internal measure that you use that you've actually placed on yourself that can have that can be very problematic at times. Um, just quickly, some of the other ones are. Um, oftentimes feeling guilty for maybe things that you've done or that I, that you've done in your day to day. And then you spend a lot of time focusing on what you, again, what you may have thought that you did and that guilt that's associated with it. But again, that idea and those thoughts are going to take you to a place where you can't really have a level of compassion for yourself. Um, this one's big. And it, it's a lot of research does still show this, that this idea of showing emotions, many people believe that showing emotions is a weakness. Um, I think there's definitely a, a more generational component to that belief as well, that people who are younger or tend to be in the younger workforce and today, there is the a greater ability of looking at emotions and understanding that they might be something that could really help you in your day to day. But as you skew towards more of an older generation, it very much was, that was a belief that I think embodied most corporate workspaces, which that, you know what, we don't bring our emotions to work. We're not, which doesn't even make sense because we're emotional beings. It just, it doesn't even make really logical sense. Um, I think another one is this idea that you may oftentimes replay events in your mind, even wishing you had acted differently. And again, these, just if you sit with them for a minute, see if you can identify with any of them, because that's a place to also start to build awareness. There's no judgment if you are, if you have any of these. It's more about understanding what does that mean for me and how might that not be helping me in terms of how I'm leading and leading compassionately. Here's the thing. The common denominator in all of these is judgment. When you looked at all of those thoughts and beliefs that I just shared with you, the least common, like the common denominator is heavy judgment toward ourselves and or towards those around us. And judging 
Judgment in itself can cloud our decision-making abilities. It can cause us to not consider and evaluate all possible options. Judgment is one of the biggest Judgment it gets it as a, as a leadership quality. Judgment pulls our focus away from what we're trying to accomplish and really towards what's either painful or stressful. And once you start to go to that place, you, you start to take yourself to the place where there's not the ability to have compassion for yourself because you're, you're probably going to start doing that boxing, that internal boxing match, um, the image where you saw that Again, we're really good at beating ourselves up. So I just, this could be a whole topic in itself, but judgment and heavy judgment about your teams, about how you would you view someone on your team and maybe how you view a fellow senior leader on your team. All judgment really does is create stress. And typically that is going to take you to a place where you don't have the ability to practice self-compassion so that you can lead more compassionately. And to build on this idea that I was talking about, about our beliefs and how they affect our thoughts and our emotions, there really is a relationship here. Um, and this is based on the idea that each and every one of us actually sees the world through a set of filters. And this is based on our life experiences. So for example, if I had on these lenses and they were blue, it would make sense that I would see the world around me as being blue. Um, let's say if you had a pair that were green, you would obviously be seeing things as looking very green. We view our day-to-day life and our day-to-day like work through those set of filters that all of us have been privy to through our upbringing. It could be we mostly learn these through the people that we're close to. It could be fellow community members if we were in certain types of religious communities or institutions. And all these filters are based on our life experiences and help shape the beliefs that we we somehow believe to be true. Funny enough, we, we, we sometimes hold on to them as being truth. But many times when you start to examine those beliefs and ask yourself, what evidence do you do have to support them as being true or being valid? There's really no evidence to support it. It's just the stuff that we we believe. And so that belief system is also a key component in helping us get to a place where we can start to lead more compassionately. Um, and I, I can tell you that I don't want to, what I'm not saying is there are many beliefs that we have that probably have resulted in any single one of us achieving the success that we have, but in other aspects, they can be limiting or they create that tension that we experience in those filters then sh- filter, they, they impact the way that we are showing up. And so I just want to make it really clear that there is a relationship between the beliefs that I shared, as well as our thoughts and our emotions. And now I want to really just bring this to life through a real example of how this would play out potentially in a work environment. So imagine, for example, you're in a situation where that belief that I shared earlier, that being right is really, really important to you. And we'll say that you're, let's say you're in a meeting with fellow coworkers, you're brainstorming these new ideas to solve a problem, and you are the type of person where you're really attached to, of course, what you're sharing, and you and you want to be right. Um, it's really important to you. Well, 
when the dynamic may shift or change where others, or let's say the, the most senior leader, if they're in the room, the, decision, the key decision makers in the room, when others don't choose your idea or perhaps may not acknowledge it in a way that that would confirm that you know somehow you were right or in that direction, or even, even say, oh, I think there might be some better ideas that we need to explore, that's where, when because you're reviewing it now as a way, as a as conflict, as something that is sort of challenging that belief system, you may start to feel frustration and anger as a result of it, or even defiance, because you're like, oh, I can't believe that they wouldn't believe that what I'm saying is probably the best, or that it's the right, it's the right thing to do, and then subsequently, what happens? But imagine that you're starting to feel that anger and frustration. In many ways, those thoughts might lead to your thoughts and emotions in believing that there's conflict when there really is no conflict at all. Um, and that might lead you get to getting into an argument or even, again, becoming defiant with some of the participants in the meeting. And so that this is a very simplified way of looking at how those belief systems can kind of carry through each one of us in our day-to-day -day lives, but more importantly, how it's taking us sometimes mostly to places that are where we're not, we're not again showing ourselves the compassion. Um, and just one other piece that I wanted to share on with you about the power of our thoughts is that this was fascinating to me that really our thoughts are so powerful. Um, they are responsible and they do create our reality. I came across Many of you, you may have heard of Joe Dispenza. He is a neuroscientist who plays in this area of like neuroplasticity and understanding how our thoughts fuel our reality. But in this particular piece of research, what happened was there were a group of individuals who re rehearsed basically one-handed piano exercises two hours a day for five days without touching the piano keys. And what's interesting is that there was a second group, almost like a control group, that did the same type of exercises for the same duration of time, yet they actually physically touched the, the piano keys. And what's interesting is that when they did the brain scans of all of those participants and individuals, what they found is it showed that all participants activated and expanded clusters of neurons in the same specific area of the brain, which to me is, is it's enlightening to understand that basically what it showed is that we can change our brain just by thinking differently. And even more telling is that our brain doesn't even really know the difference between our internal world, sort of our mind and our thoughts and what we experience. So it's, this is why I want to spend so much time talking about our thoughts is because the thoughts become sort of our lead indicators, if you will, of our ability to show ourselves more compassion. Um, and, and that's why they become so critical in terms of building the awareness as leaders, because that's one of the ways for us to obviously be able to lead more compassionately with ourselves. And then the other piece that I found, I find is that, I'm not sure why my images are not showing up on here, but that's okay, is that not going to places where we're not leading from a place of compassion and kindness for ourselves can affect our performance in real terms. So 
Remember I was talking about this idea of judgment and how judgment is such a huge, a huge factor in our performance. Well, on the left-hand side, what you're seeing is the types of typical thoughts perhaps that you may be having or that you have had and that you can identify with, and also the types of emotions that typically result in, I would say, poor performance or let's say suboptimal performance. And what you're going to notice is that high judgment is always going to be present. Um, and that also has to do with the ability to us to, for us to understand ourselves. What it does is when your emotions, when you're experiencing frustration, irritation, sadness, apathy, maybe some self-doubt or worry, that doesn't even allow you to start to, to play in the space of having compassion for yourself because probably most likely you're going to be beating yourself up and it, it's not even possible because your brain waves and the way, the way that the neural pathways are functioning in your brain is that it won't allow for that. Um, now, subsequently on the flip side, and there is a spectrum here, I, I want to make clear, that's why it goes from left to right. So there is a very uh, much more of a spectrum, not, not so black and white looking as it may be on the slide, is that if you look at the types of thoughts and emotions that fuel our performance and our ability to lead more compassionately. What you'll see is that judgment, there is either little to no judgment at all. And so that's why this, this topic becomes so powerful in setting us up for greater success and helping us unlock our potential is because those thoughts and emotions will also affect our ability to perform. And again, I know in working with the people that I work with that so many, you know, their focus is wanting to lead and to lead as optimally as possible, given that our dynamic, the dynamics that we're working in is changing consistently and constantly. But again, this idea that our thoughts and our emotions are so critical in setting us up for success and, and allowing us a space to start to experience compassion. Um, so that's, that is the piece. The other piece is it limits more of the forward-looking piece, which is even our potential. If you were experiencing thoughts and emotions that are continually draining your energy, let's say that you're just under, you have a lot of self-doubt, a lot of worry, a lot of stress in your day-to-day, -day, over time, you may start to feel really lethargic. You're going to start to actually feel that your energy is drained which may lead to higher levels of disengagement and overall lower levels of satisfaction in your leadership performance. So in real terms, it does impact our ability to lead in the moment and maximize our potential even going forward when we're stuck in a spot where we're not really giving ourselves a break, where we're always putting so much on what we didn't do or how we should have done something differently or judging um, ourselves and others. That's why this is to me the most critical piece is that most people, most leaders, because they don't have the time to really do this type of a work, don't understand, have, haven't even thought about how there's a connection and, and what that connection is. The other piece to share with you in terms of compassion in leadership is and this is more externally focused, is research by two doctors, um, Stephen Tsertsiak and Anthony Mozzarelli. 
they actually help us understand how showing compassion through serving others can have all kinds of mental, emotional, and physical benefits um, in their book called Wonder Drug. And one study that they did, and you, you find this in the book if, if you have it, one such study focused on managers and leaders who identified, who identified themselves as either self-interested and other interested. And again, the distinction between the two hopefully is apparent, but if someone is very self-interested, that means that they're only really interested in what their own gains are and not really taking others into consideration. Whereas if someone also is interested in others, it's more of the external focus of wanting other people to succeed and do well and to give in ways that are going to support that. And what they found was the leaders who obviously have not only a high sense of self-interest, meaning they are taking care of themselves and want what's best for themselves and probably practicing compassionate leadership internally, but also want that for others, they, they were able to demonstrate that those individuals were most successful in the workplace. And so it's, it's further proof that extending compassion to others, as well as obviously having compassion for ourselves, and even being mindful each day of ways to extend kindness and compassion results in better health and overall happiness. Um, this was interesting because a lot of, I think a lot of leaders, whether they want to really get honest with themselves or not, probably are, are leading from a place of ego, which means that they do have high self-interest, but don't really have, have low other interests, meaning they're not really concerned about other individuals. They're concerned about their own progress, their own career growth, their own sort of the idea of winning, if you will, in a professional workplace. And they don't really care if other people actually come along for the ride or not. And so you can see, though, in that box, those are individuals who in this study were called egomaniacs, which, um, you know, having worked in corporate, I can tell you that I did have a luckily I was exposed to many different types of leaders, but certainly I think most of us hopefully on this on this call can identify with those individuals who lead from a place of ego. Um, the other one to just call out is because it is a distinction is that if you have low self-interest, meaning again, you're sort of letting everybody else override you or take front stage or not have that balance between low self-interest and also high other interest, you really are that type of person that people know that they can probably manipulate or um, use for lack of better words, because you're the type of person that you're just sort of going, you're just sort of going through the motions um, without maybe more of that clarity around what's in your best interest, not only what's in your best interest, but what's in the best interest of others as well. And so this is a, just an interesting dynamic. And I thought this research really pointed to the idea how the relationship between the external factor as well as the external factor and how it points to successful leadership in the workplace. All right, so let's talk about what we can do. I have got two hopefully simple and straightforward tools, I think that will help every single person on this call, if you choose again to, to take it and use it, to help you get better. That's the whole idea is just getting better and trying something. One is 
and this speaks to the judgment component that I talked about earlier, is just to learn to understand that things that it just is. And so when I, if you just, if you were able to sit there for a moment and understand that any situation that you may find yourself in, if you were able to look at it from a place of it just is, it starts to um, take away the idea that it ne it's, either, it's neither good nor bad or right or wrong. And again, judgment is such a huge component to each one of us leading from a place of compassion that when we judge ourselves, it's, it's what's going to suck that ability. It's going to take that ability away from us to be able to do that. And when you're able to create less judgment, you actually are creating space where you can be more creative and possibilities will flourish. Um, so here are three questions that you can use and that I highly recommend that you write down. Um, if you have a piece of paper or uh, maybe an iPad in front of you, you can type it. Is just think about when you are judging. So when you're going to a place where you're judging yourself and or others, what message are you giving yourself or the person or the thing when you're when you're judging? So just start there by understanding what is the message that I'm giving myself by judging either judging myself, the person, or the thing or situation that you may be in. The second question to sort of take on or look at it maybe from another perspective is to ask yourself, other than how I am seeing this, what could be another perspective? And that that's a huge shift right there because it takes you away from what your normal belief systems might be or the place that you are, I'd say, wired to go to and, and bring it to maybe another, another idea or perspective that would be more helpful for the situation that you have found yourself in. And then the last question, which is critical and is just to me, to me a nugget of gold, is ask yourself what would be the most compassionate way to handle the situation? Again, to maybe handle this situation, what would be the most compassionate way for me to speak to myself or to, to look at myself in this situation if it's more internal? So you can use it both internally and externally, and this can be a huge way that if you start tracking this over your day-to-day -day experiences, it can really start to help you make better sense of how this might be showing up and how, again, you can show yourself more compassion as a leader so that you can give that to others um, as well. And to experience it more often, I think that's the point is you want, if you can just experience it more, that would be huge um, from even from where you may be right now. The second piece, and this speaks to what we had talked about earlier, where I had shared the research about serving others, is that making and serving, making the idea of serving others a priority and putting it more front and center in your day-to-day is going to be critical as well because the neuroscience research shows that most the most potent activator of our brain circuits evolved in the experience of human happiness is actually this, which is compassion for others. Again, compassion for ourselves is where it starts, but it is also a really critical component. And so when you think about your day-to-day, -day, again, here's a series of questions that if you write them down or use them, it can start to help you do this more with more frequency. And the first question is, 
think about a time in your life when you wanted someone to succeed or excel at something. So first, just go to that place um, and, and sort of identify what was that time and then ask yourself, what did you feel uh, um, as a result of actually doing that? When you actually, when your focus was on helping someone else succeed or excel at something, what did you feel? And the feeling piece of it is what's critical because that's going to also align with certain uh, hormones that probably are getting released in your system, like serotonin and dopamine, which are going to take you automatically to a place where you have more gratitude and joy, which is having more compassion for yourselves. Um, then the next question you can ask yourself is, what typically gets in the way of you serving others on a day-to-day -day basis? And I added this question in so that you're able to sort of, you're better able to identify what's the opportunity to step into the space and what, what normally is prohibiting you. So it might be your beliefs, it might be judgment that's gonna be coming up, but it helps you identify what's the barrier that might be getting in your way to help, to, to try to serve others more on a day-to-day -day basis. And then the last question, which we can all use, I try to practice this myself every day, is what is one thing that you can do today tomorrow and even the following day that is in service to others.